0: What is dub? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me, because I don't really know. I love music. All types of music. Pretty much every type, except maybe contemporary country and most of pop and hip-hop from the past two decades. (laughs) I'm a rock guy, an unapologetic child of the alternative music era. I love my parents' music, too. Classic rock, funk, R&B. I dabble in jazz and classical, and certainly heavy metal. But reggae music? I'm a basic bitch. Put me on a desert island, hand me a pina colada, and turn on Bob Marley, and I'm home. But shit, there's tons of great reggae music out there, and if I had more time with my guests for episode 97 of the Independent Minded Podcast, I would have gotten into all that, because I have a feeling they'd be experts on the subject. My guests this time around are Dub Trio, and yep, they're a trio, but they ain't no reggae band. In fact, it's hard to pin down just what kind of band Dub Trio is, and it's those sort of bands that I find the most appealing. Others might find them unclassifiable, or as bassist Stu Brooks says during our talk, abrasive. But that would mean Faith No More is abrasive, Sugar Hill Gang is abrasive, Cigarose, The Beastie Boys are abrasive, Mahavishnu Motherfucking Orchestra is abrasive. And I love all those bands. So maybe I need to do more of that on this podcast. Just talk about music. I should have asked these guys why the song Needles sounds like Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Because nerding out on music, that's my favorite part of these conversations. But hey, I'm a rock journalist. And I gotta talk about the process. I've gotta talk about origins. I've gotta talk about the new album. Because that's what Dub Trio's sitting down with me for, to promote their latest piece of art. It's called The Shape of Dub to Come. It's a title that may sound familiar to Ornette Coleman and refused fans. And the music may sound familiar to fans of doom metal, groove, ambient, and of course, dub. It's a hodgepodge. <laughs> But all the songs including ones featuring King Buzzo of Melvins and Troy Sanders from Mastodon, two bands I also love, somehow feel like they belong on the same record. And tonight is Dub Trio's first night on tour in support of this new album. They're playing DC9, one of the few downtown clubs I've yet to hit since I moved down to the DMV from NYC. I show up to find a white vehicle that looks like a pimped out short bus parked outside, and the New York plates confirm my suspicion that this is where Dub Trio and crew are going to be spending a lot of time over the next couple of months. And that's how I know Dub Trio from my New York days. I played a show with them once upon a time. When I see them live again at DC9 about 15 years later, they'd surely raise their pedal game. It was pedal porn, pedophilia pedals for days, pedals to the metal. They even pumped some of the guest vocals in via pedal. It was the band's first show in a while, but they haven't been sitting on their laurels. They've done some amazing shit since we shared a stage together once upon a time. They've toured with Modis Yahoo, and with one of my idols, Mike Patton. They've collaborated with everyone from Moe's Def, to Dr. John, to the Fugees. But in between being first-rate sidemen, Dub Trio never went away. They've got five legit albums, and most of them are heavier than I anticipated. And that's a good thing. Now watching them perform for the first time in forever, I didn't hear any rust at all. Because these dudes, older and wiser and more seasoned than the band I saw years ago, are clearly professionals. They may be, in fact, the calmest and coolest cats I've talked to since I've been down here. And when we talk, I get the vibe that they know each other just as well as they know what all the pedals in their racks do. I pop upstairs for sound check, then hang with Stu, drummer Joe Tamino, and guitarist Dave D.P. Holmes inside an Ethiopian restaurant a few blocks away from the club. It's my first Ethiopian experience, vegan no less. And you might hear that I'm thrown off by the fact that I'm talking to a table full of people with only one microphone. But hey, on the Independent Minded Podcast, these type of experiences are truly par for the course. In between waiting for our samosa, our shiro wat, and our hot lentil sambusas to come out of the kitchen, I talk to Dub Trio about reuniting after a long hiatus, vintage drums, salads, and the shape of Dub to come. Let's kick it off with Bad Comrade from the band's kick-ass new album, then my conversation with Dub Trio Right here on Independent Minded. It's Ronnie Galzo's Amazing Podcast. It's Ronnie Galzo's Amazing Podcast. He's talking to people who make art music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the bullshit that they do. And I'm in an Ethiopian restaurant. This is definitely a first for the Independent Mind of Podcast. Not only because I've never eaten Ethiopian food before, and that's about to change in a short time, but I'm here with Dub Trio, my Brooklyn brethren. Are you guys all originally from Brooklyn?
1: No, I'm from Toronto. Stu here. Dave here. I'm from Toronto-ish as well. And Joe here. I'm from
0: Cleveland. So nobody's from Brooklyn, but you guys, <laughs> guys kind of made your chops in Brooklyn, right?
1: Yep. We all moved in the same year, around 2000. We're there in two
2: thousand.
0: Your new album just released called The Shape of Dub to Come. But the new album is almost kinda like a like at least it starts off as like a Doom Metal album.
2: Yeah, I mean there's there's doom sludge elements to it, but even if you're listening to the tracks that have that sort of aesthetic, musically the the dub is still in there. Like we did editing, there might be might hear some reverbs or some delays that are thrown in, even on the vocals or the drums. So there is that element of dub as a process inherent in the Doom or Stoner-type songs. I mean, it just carries through throughout the whole, no matter what we do, whether it's the Doom stuff or it's an electronic thing or it's a reggae thing, the dub is always in there somewhere.
0: And I noticed later on in the record, it kind of veers more in that direction. It's even kind of ambient at the end.
2: Indeed, the the last track is completely (laughs) ambient. Uh, There's one really root-style reggae dub track, more original style, 70s style.
0: You're playing DC9 tonight. It's the first night of your tour in support of the record. And I recognize Dub Trio as a band that I had played a show with once upon a time in New York City. And before we crack the mic here, we were trying to figure out the timeline here. And I can't for the life of me figure it out. But you guys have gone on to do some incredible things, um, you know, being hmm. a backing band for Manus Yahoo, playing with Mike Patton, who's one of my idols. What does tonight mean to you as far as the next step in your career? It's been kind of a while between albums, I would assume. It's been a long while to be back with these guys. Like it's been so long, and the getting back together, playing music together again, it's it's amazing. You know, take it day by day as well, and just you know, do what we feel and make music together this album features everyone from King Buzzer with the Melvins, Troy from Mastodon. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a different vibe when you guys have guest vocalists on your songs. Why have you never kind of said, we want a full-time vocalist?
1: That just kind of came naturally. We were a rhythm section for other artists with backing up different artists. We were in Peeping Tom and we had a band with, um, called Actual Proof that started in Boston. And we moved down to New York as a band and we ended up needing to... Auditioned drummers and the first person we auditioned was Joe Tamino. Then like we played as a band for like three years and eventually started doing our own shows like just around town as a nameless band improvising on grooves, different grooves or whatever. At some point somebody put on chalkboard or on the marquee dub trio. I think we were discussing like what we are kind of and <laughs> he, he took it as literal and like that's what we're gonna call you. We did our first tour with like The Wailers and Soul Live and Meet Beat Manifesto, and started, wow. things started picking up. And the second album, that's when we were like, maybe we should do a vocal feature, and we got Mike Patton involved, and he did a, he did one song, and then that's when we joined up with Peeping Tom. And we were always talking about, like, let's do a full album with a ton of vocal features, but the logistics were a little intense, especially with our side gigs going on, we're on the road with Modest Yao a lot, and Peeping Tom, Joe and, and Dave both moved to different cities, and we were touring a lot still, so it didn't really matter where we all lived, we were just out on the road for so long, that that's kind of why the hiatus, quote unquote, of the band sort of initiated. So we started writing the record like four years ago. We were like intended on doing some vocal collabos, and then we reached out to Troy, who's an old friend, and then the Buzzo collabo was just a little more recent.
0: You're touring with Incubus? for the second leg of the promotion of this album. But this leg, you're out on your own, you're headlining. I saw your vehicle out front outside of DC9. The Vanimal. The Vanimal. The Vanimal? The Vanimal, yes. Why is it called the Vanimal? Uh,
1: Our project manager built it and he he named it. He built it?
0: Yeah. You seem to be content with doing things on your own. Is that just inherent by nature or...?
1: Well, initially, like, the point of the album, I think, was just for us to hit the road. And like play music together again as a trio. Finally, the record's released, and we sort of have been like in hibernation. So, I think this initial two-week run in the Northeast, which is like our kind of our stomping ground, um, is just to create a buzz again and just create awareness. And I realize there's going to be a little delay between the release and sort of a more broader buzz. Like, and things are starting to to happen now and like um, the Incubus guys reached out and that's that's pretty exciting, we'll get to play in front of some larger crowds. I think no matter how large the crowds are gonna be, I think we'll still have like a ceiling of accessibility being that we're instrumental, being that we're a little abrasive and challenging to listen to, but that's sort of not the point. We're just sure. just gonna do it, you know?
0: I mean, that's something you faced over the course of your entire career, true. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And is it add on a label? Is it your yeah, label?
1: this one we actually have a strong team. It's New Damage, which is part of Dine Alone. It's a Canadian label and um, they've been awesome. I was stoked to like get involved with the Canadians because both Dave and I are Canadian. That makes us 66.66% <laughs> Canadian, which gives us advantages over there. A, they support the artists with some financing. And then also there's the Canadian content rule where I think it's like 50% of Radio has to be Canadian music.
0: Yeah. Really, I I only know about this because of the Rush documentary. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's kind of like clued me being... friends Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you, Joe? Like uh you're not Canadian. Do you feel like you're you're deprived or?
1: He's an
2: honor- honorary Canadian. We always say. I'm across the pond, across the lake. I think these guys are as American as I am, though. I mean, God, truth be told, you guys, I, can't vote. I don't I don't hear any accents heroes i mean
0: while you're on the mic joe yeah i'm always curious about this you guys seem to be in the same uh, age demographic as as i am like where did it all get started for you as a drummer what made you pick up the sticks was it through your your lineage your heritage or was it a show you went to was an artist you saw on television
2: my father was a drummer so even though he didn't really teach me anything or show me anything i was around it from a young age. But I think the the people that really like inspired me first where I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do where um, I remember having this uh Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich drum battle album. That was a big one for me. Nice. And then, you know, watching it growing up on MTV and watching like Tommy Lee. So it was like, uh, it was like kind of like, you know, Gene Krupa and Tommy Lee were like... the <laughs> full range yeah, was, right there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really get serious until like later in maybe like middle school or high school. I just kind of had the drums around the basement or if I would go to my dad's house, I'd just kind of beat on them. I remember cleaning his drums a lot, like taking them apart and shining them and putting in new lugs and always making sure the heads were like right. I never got into building drums or anything like that, but I remember that about my childhood and being around the drums as a kid. He actually gave me a kit who I sold to a friend of mine who sold it to another friend And there was like a punk rock drum set, so it was beat to shit or it was beat up, but um, oh, snap. (laughs) Uh, The drums are pretty beat up, so actually, when he passed away, the guy gave me back those drums, and I still play those drums today. They're awesome. Old school, Cleveland-era Rogers, 60, mid-60s, I think. Great drums. If
0: you don't mind me asking, why did your dad not show you the ropes?
2: I don't know. I, I'm not sure what it was. I mean, he just like I, clean these drums, but I no, not he never told me anything. To that was the thing. He never, he never said do this to the drums or like, you know. He showed me like what four four time and three four time were, and then he showed me like a paradiddle or like what a chord note looked like. He, I think he said to me once something to the effect of like, I don't need to show you anything. Just listen. Like that was a huge lesson. Something that I instill in my students actually. Like listening is is one of the biggest lessons to learning. So. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't really get it then, but uh, now I do. So, you know, listening to records. I used to listen to his record collection, you know. He had everything from, like, the Commodores and Tower of Power to, like, the Sabbath, like, the Paranoid album, uh, all Man, kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah had great, great albums, great record collection. Here's a cool, kind of bringing it back, uh, there's a drum, one of the first electronic drums called the Synair, made in the 70s. It's a, a drum with, like, multiple oscillators and decay. It's kind of like a synth and, like, a drum, that they manufactured like in the early 70s, maybe the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, he had it. I remember being like two or three years old and him playing it downstairs and being completely freaked out by the timbre and the sounds that it made. I remember crying. Cause I think because I was afraid because it was just too much for me. And and anyway, when he, when he passed away, I took that, or maybe he gave it to me. And it's on multiple dub trio albums. I don't dare really take it out because it's kind of vintage mm-hmm. and it would just get beat up on the road but uh it's on dub albums it's a beautiful drum the sin air
0: so in a way his uh his legacy lives
2: on it lives on every dub record oh here come the salads thank you the first mm. podcast
0: salad i've ever had don't talk with your mouthful but feel free to dig in i know you guys have to okay. show that show to play <laughs> well, i've never eaten a salad and conducted an interview before so this is exciting stuff <laughs> what about you Stu? what made you pick up the bass
1: i started bass in ninth grade I always loved music and was involved in music. Some close friends of mine were starting in a band and they didn't have a bass player. So I was like, hey, my neighbor has a bass, let me try his out. And within about a year, I had a guitar teacher that said, I could see you doing this for the rest of your life. Wow, and no, I, t- I took no that pressure. I took that, uh, no, I mean, I, <laughs> I was like, really? Because I was at a, like a prep school and they don't like really prep you to go to music school. So I was like, oh, that's an option. So pretty quickly, I I moved over to like an art school in Toronto.
0: It's refreshing to see guys who've been doing it a while. I understand two of you guys are dads now. Mm. You're all in relationships. Oh, yeah. And here you are, you know, eating salad at an Ethiopian restaurant, getting ready to kick off what's an extensive tour. This is our pre-show party, salad. I'm saying this is what it's all about for you guys. Oh, yeah. Well, on that note, I'm going to eat my salad. Bon appetit. And um, I want to thank you guys. Good luck on the tour. Looking forward to seeing you guys.
2: Hope you brought earplugs.
0: I did not bring earplugs. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. was world of inconvenience featuring king buzzo earlier in the podcast we heard bad comrade both off dub trio's new album the shape of dub to come get the goods find out more see them on tour follow them online at dubtrio.com. i want to thank Stu, joe and dave for hanging and sharing some stories and the fine folks at dc9 for their hospitality and thanks to you my friends for listening without you less people would be listening <laughs> Follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Bald Freak Music. You can hear more episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and now proudly, question mark, on Spotify. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, share, retweet, regram, post, heart, donate your vital organs, however you choose to show your online love. Turn your friends on to new music and find out everything you need to know at BaldFreak.com. Next time on Independent Minded, off to the pie shop to sample some hardcore courtesy of Orange County, California band Fury. Mmm, Fury Pie. Mmm,
2: Elephant Fresh. Mmm, Candy. Mmm,
1: 64 slices of American cheese. Mmm,
2: Sacrilicious.